Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin an exciting series called The Ten Commandments. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Why the Ten Commandments? On November 13, 2003, Chief Justice Roy Moore, then the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the state of Alabama, was fired from his position for bringing a monument of the Ten Commandments into the Alabama Supreme Court building, and then for resolutely refusing to remove it. Chief Justice Moore argued that the monument ought to remain because, he said, the Ten Commandments are the moral foundation of law in the United States. Now, of course, that was not the end of Roy Moore's woes. While running for a seat in the United States Senate in 2017, nine women stepped forward to accuse him of sexual misconduct. Three of the nine claimed that this happened while they were under the age of consent. The youngest was 14 at the time. Now, I need to be careful here because an allegation is quite different than a conviction. But if the allegation were to be true, it would showcase a well-known truth. It is far easier to say that you love the law than to actually do the law. It's far easier to lecture others on morality than it is to be moral oneself. You know, today I'm beginning a three-week series on the Ten Commandments, and I decided to begin with the interesting case of Alabama and Judge Roy Moore for a reason. The later sexual allegations notwithstanding, was more right in bringing a monument of these laws into the U.S. State Court building. And before you answer instinctively, consider what is in these ten laws. The very first states that you shall have no other gods other than the one true God of Israel. Or to put it into our terminology, it is illegal to worship any other god other than the God of the Bible. And that would mean that all religious groups in the United States that do not worship the God of the Bible should be subject to prosecution. You think that would be good or not? Or how about the fourth law, that is the law to observe the Sabbath, a law that would prohibit all commercial activity on the Sabbath? Oh, I know the sixth command, do not murder, is covered. And so is the eighth and the ninth, laws against theft and perjury. But do you want, in law, the tenth, which prohibits envy to be enshrined into our legal system? Unless you so quickly condemn those who fire Judge Moore, let me add another wrinkle to the debate. You know, I attend a Baptist church, and a part of the statement of faith in the church that I attend has a section on what we believe in relationship to civil government. My church statement of faith says that the church should remain distinct and separate from the state and that there should be no intrusion of the one into the affairs of the other. Now, does that surprise you? Well, it doesn't me. You know, I spent the majority of my pastoral ministry in the Mennonite Brethren Church, where where we trumpeted the history of the Mennonite movement. You know, from the outset, in 1535 in Zurich, Switzerland, the first Anabaptists wanted a complete separation of the church from the state. So I ask again, was Judge Moore right in bringing a monument of the Ten Commandments into the Alabama Supreme Court building? Now, on the one hand, it might be argued that all Western countries were founded on a Judeo-Christian heritage, and, and all that Judge Moore wanted 
was to acknowledge that the Western understanding of law flows from a biblical understanding of righteousness. And that's just true. Now, I don't want to settle a debate here. I simply want to point out that the debate, when there is one, is not as cut and dry as we might expect. And I use this as but one example to show that the question of what we are to make of the Ten Commandments is anything but simple. Let me take the question of the Ten Commandments to another level. You know, I've preached on the Ten Commandments on numerous occasions in my life, and and I've found that in some cases, simply doing so raises a controversy. You know, people often ask, what is the relationship of my faith to the law? See, on the one hand, there are those who think that any lengthy teaching on the Ten Commandments should be prefaced with the wonderful proclamation of Galatians 3.13. There it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So in this view, the Ten Commandments are a part of the law that eventually proclaim us guilty and pronounces that we are under the curse of a lawbreaker. But Christ has redeemed us, and at least in this way of thinking, we're no longer bound to keep the law. That is, we are freed from the Ten Commandments. That's the gospel. Now, might I add to some, this way of thinking has rendered not only the law a relic of the past, but the entire Old Testament. I'd like to add something to this. In our day, a great many Christians are woefully ignorant of the Ten Commandments. In a survey done in Great Britain several years ago, British clergymen were asked if they knew the Ten Commandments, and the vast majority of them could not repeat them from memory. You know, that's interesting because only a generation ago, it was considered part of basic Christian training for all children to know them. Now, even the pastors don't. You know, one pastor even said he pays no attention to them because, in his words, they are so negative. You know, I did a test on a, a group of graduating fourth-year Bible college students a number of years ago. I gave them a piece of paper and asked them to write out the Ten Commandments. And I strongly suspected that very few of them would be able to give all ten of them and that some would forget some. But I was completely unprepared for the response. A number of them thought that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was one of the ten. And one even put those as two different commands. You know, an eye for an eye was one, and a tooth for a tooth was another. A number of them thought that the golden rule was one of the ten. Quite a few others thought that Jesus' statement to love God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves must be two of them. I suddenly realized that it wasn't that they didn't know all Ten Commandments. It was that they didn't even know what the Ten Commandments were all about. And these were fourth-year graduating Bible college students. I mean, what biblical ignorance. And so to go back to Judge Roy Moore, see, I must say, he was really skating on some very thin ice. The secular world thought that to put such a monument in the Supreme Court was a violation of the rights of non-Christian people, and I would say a great many Christian people might not have known either what they were or what role they play in the Christian faith. See, I've sometimes wondered where those people who protested the loudest when this monument was taken down, whether or not they could have repeated all ten laws from memory. And so for our benefit, I want to begin this study first by reading the Ten, and then second, beginning our study by talking about why God gave the Ten Commandments in the first place, and then where I will finally go in this study, down the road, to talk about why knowing and applying the Ten Commandments is essential to Christians today. 
we'll even get a chance to talk about the impact the Ten Commandments actually have, not only on the lives of Christians, but on the lives of all non-Christians as well. So, let's start by clarifying what we're talking about. The Ten Commandments are found in two different passages of the Scripture. The first is in Exodus 20, which is the historical account of when they were given. The second is in Deuteronomy 5, which repeats the Ten Laws with some minor variations. The book of Deuteronomy, if you don't know it, is to the most part a sermon given by Moses to Israel at the end of Moses' life. He repeats the law because of its importance and then gives an urgent evangelistic appeal that, that God has set before Israel the way of life and the way of death. Choose life, pleads Moses, just in the way that an evangelist might plead with people to come to Christ today. And that may sound surprising to some. How can the law and the Ten Commandments be an invitation to live? What are we to make of this? Now, just a spoiler alert, but an important one. As we study the Ten Commandments, I'm going to begin by saying over and over again that the Ten Commandments are God's universal law, not just for Israel, but also for the entire human race. And furthermore, I will argue that the rest of the First Testament law, found in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are an expansion of the Ten Commandments. Look at it this way. The Ten Commandments are the basis for the law of God, and the rest of the Old Testament law helps put those ten into context for the life of the nation of Israel. For instance, if God demands that he alone is to be worshipped, the rest of the law spells out how he is to be worshipped. Or if the law demands that one must not steal, the rest of the law talks about what to do with thieves and how to make matters right and how a thief must repay for what he has stolen. Now, we as Christians today can learn from this in, in terms of our own lives. What are God's holy demands for us? What should we do if we have violated his demands? And we need to see why the Ten Commandments always lead us back to the place of the cross. February is International Ministries Month, a time to celebrate the ministry work being accomplished in partnership with our friends in India, Sri Lanka, Curaçao, and beyond. Back to the Bible Canada is committed to providing ministry support, Bible teaching programming, resources, content, and international pastors' Bible teaching conferences impacting hundreds of national pastors. God is at work through these opportunities, and your gracious gifts have provided the means to partner in ministry far beyond our borders. This month, would you consider an additional international ministry gift to help reach the 2022 International Projects goal of $50,000? Back to the Bible Canada has a global vision the size of our global mission. Thank you in advance. Call today with your gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. I've said that a great many people discuss the Ten Commandments, but don't actually know the Ten Commandments. And so for our purposes, I'm going to read the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, now, there are the Ten Commandments. And just to help you to remember them, think of them this way. Historically, Bible teachers have spoken of them in terms of two tables of the law. It's kind of like two stone tablets laid out before us. On the first tablet or table, we see the first four commands. Don't have any other gods. Don't make an idol. Don't take the sacred name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Four laws that deal with our relationship with God. The second table of the law deals with our relationship with our fellow human being. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't envy. Now, this arrangement of two tables of the law was both how the Jews in Jesus' day and how Jesus himself understood the ten laws. Listen to the interaction between Jesus and a lawyer found in Luke 10, 25 to 28. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, apart from the fact that Jesus taught that when you do the law, you will live— an issue we're going to talk about later, please notice that this lawyer immediately divided the law into two tables. Love the Lord, that's the first four commands, and love your neighbor, that's the last six. And so imagine the law. Everything in the Old Testament law teaches you how to love God and how to love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments are the way in which that's done. The rest of the law is a further breakdown in the culture and the history of Israel. But this much is clear. The law is about love. Now, I bet some of you didn't understand that. But if you want to know how to love, you'll want to know how to keep the law. And so, for instance, when we commit adultery or when we misuse the sacred name, we prove that we are an unloving people. And so, we're now at a place to discuss just what the law, or in this case, the Ten Commandments, meant for Israel. Let me start with the most basic statement that when you think about it, it will make sense. 
See, one reason that God gave Israel the law is to provide this new nation with a system of governance. Look, you can't have a nation with coherence and with staying power apart from a law. And this, quite simply, are the laws which governed Israel. The law was given for without a law, Israel could not have become a nation. Every nation needs laws, for without them, no nation can exist. It's just that simple. Now, of course, as you know, that's not the only reason why the law was given. A second reason the law was given was to mark Israel as the special and the unique people of God. Now, that idea is expressed over and over again in the Bible. Listen, for instance, to Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And that's to say, what God did in choosing Abraham, who is, who is of course, the father of the Jewish people, to the creation of this nation is unique. No other nation in history will ever be called the chosen people. Now, I say this because one of the heresies that destroys nations is to begin to think that they can repeat Israel's history. I remember reading one contemporary author who, in a very bad book, may I say, argued that Israel and America are God's chosen people. Now, this author seemed to have no grasp of history. He did not know how many nations have believed that they, along with Israel, inherit the unique promises. There have been nations in history that have used Israel's story as their own when they persecuted other races around them, for instance. You know, I know of one nation that practiced apartheid, believing that the people of other races were the Canaanites who must be driven from the land. I'm saying that when any nation equates itself with Israel, it's on the threshold of carrying out great sins. See, there is no nation ever at any time in history that can claim what is only to be claimed by Israel. Now, we maintain that Israel is unique. As Paul says in Romans 9 verse 4, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. That is to say, this is their unique inheritance. No other nation is God's chosen people. No other nation is chosen to bring the Messiah into the world. No other nation exists for the purpose of bringing God's salvation into the world. This is Israel's unique role. And I say that to show that, for instance, the first command that we should have no other God is Israel's law. It's not Canadian law or U.S. law or Brazilian law or Chinese law or any other nation's law. Again, lest there be confusion on this matter, let me make it plain. God demands of every human being that they are to worship him alone. Indeed, he will judge every human being on whether or not they have done that most important of all things. If you today have another God, you will be judged guilty before the one true God. The final judgment will take note of every occasion where every human being has failed in this matter of the worship of the one true God, something that is demanded of all. But having said that, God does not demand that every nation enshrine this matter into their constitution. Only Israel has such a constitution. But why? Why has God given one nation a unique role in the world that is not shared by any other? So let's answer that by listening to Deuteronomy 4, 5 to 8. 
You know, Moses is preaching to Israel on the plains of Moab, and he's at the end of his life, and soon after his death, Israel will go into the promised land, and and they will claim the land that God has reserved for them. So to listen to what Moses says. He says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Now that would clarify matters. Israel is the only nation in the history of the earth that has had God speaking audibly before the entire nation. They are the only nation that has received laws directly from the mouth of God. Consequently, Israel was chosen by God to bear witness of the one true God to the world. Israel's God is the only God. And that's where we begin our study. The Ten Commandments tell the unique story of Israel, a story which will have enormous ramifications for every single human being on earth. Thanks very much, John. You know, obviously, Israel and the Ten Commandments, there's a significantly uh, unique relationship there. But what about the church today? I mean, we have different poles of people that will emphasize the Ten Commandments in a different way. What is the right emphasis for us? Yeah, I mean, Ben, there is one denomination that makes much of the Fourth Commandment, that is to keep the Sabbath. And I think what they're arguing is that we ought to keep the Sabbath in the uniquely Jewish way. And and I would argue that is, that's an error because um, there is something unique in the way in which the Ten Commandments are applied to Israel. However, I'm going to say that nonetheless, the Ten Commandments do tell us or inform us of what God demands of every single human being. Um, I think Luther said it right, that the Ten Commandments are the beginning of, you know, good Christian education. Uh, I would argue we ought to teach our kids the Ten Commandments, and a proper understanding of the Ten Commandments eventually ought to lead us to repentance and uh, relying on the grace of Christ. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us for the next few weeks as we continue our series, The Ten Commandments, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Since 1957, Back to the Bible Canada has provided excellent, trustworthy Bible teaching to Canadians. The result of faithful Bible teaching is thousands of lives being encouraged, challenged, even transformed from coast to coast. What is accomplished can be attributed to people like you who share a heart for the Bible, but also those who share a heart to provide Bible teaching resources beyond our borders. Partnerships around the world ensure that we do our part to sow God's Word through Bible teaching programs, print resources, and Bible teaching conferences beyond the confines of country, culture, or language. February is Back to the Bible Canada's International Ministry Month. Your one-time gift toward our $50,000 target or considering becoming an international monthly partner would do so much. To give or to sign up for monthly partnership, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
www.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca